Hello, good morning, good evening. Welcome Hello to the Name there. Food Podcast. And um, today we're talking about bees. Bees. Yeah, bees and honey and hives and keeping bees. Do you like bees? I, I love bees, but you know what, Jack? I heard you love bees even more <laughs> I than I love bees. It's a big surprise. I do, I have. But it shouldn't be a surprise I, because bees are. I have gotten mad for bees and I, I, I don't keep bees, but I really want to keep bees. And I've visited loads of friends who do keep bees and I have learned mm-hmm. everything that's involved. The only thing I just don't have is somewhere to be able to keep the bees. But soon I hope to. And as soon as I do, I will. I will. Absolutely. Yeah. So basically, you know, honeybees are an integral part of the natural world and they pollinate. And we all kind of know this now, the majority of all of our crops and trees and they give us the food that we eat and the air that we breathe, basically. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And absolutely. Not only are they beneficial to our ecosystem, of course, they're also beneficial to our economy because they are responsible as pollinators for a third of our food and therefore contribute over 200 billion dollars to the global economy each year so it's pretty important i didn't really think about it that way 200 billion dollars and i'm guessing you got that figure from somewhere online but i would thought it yeah yeah, i found it there on 217 billion to the global i thought it would have been even more than that anyway i think today what we wanted to have a look at was beekeepers so the people who look after them because you know without looking after these bees as it turns out they don't actually really do their job very well So we're all aware of the declines and threats to bees in relation to habitat loss and pesticides, climate change, and various different things. So we wanted to touch base with a commercial beekeeper to kind of get some answers about this. Yeah. And um, did you know, right, (laughs) and you should know this as a beekeeper lover, right, that actually various Greek philosophers believed that us humans would be reincarnated as bees or that bees were the souls of those who had not yet been born. I I didn't know know that. I believe it. As as you know. I think I think you were definitely a bee in another <laughs> life. And do you know why I actually think this as well, Jack? Right? Because recently there it was World Bee Day, and you came up with this absolute belter of a post right <laughs> and I was like this guy is after scripting some like liturgy like that he's just gonna like scream from the pulpit about how much he loves beekeepers like it was absolutely beautiful like I you know what yeah I think actually this is the point we start because when we were recording it you pulled it out of the bag <laughs> once more and you gave it to us come on Jack let's listen let's listen so, so what I wrote was The word beekeeper is a beautiful word. There are not honey farmers or honey producers. There's never a talk about organic or other principles. They are just kept, looked after and minded. Those who mind bees do so with incredible heart. Without bees, nothing would grow. They are busy workers who carefully move through our gardens and countrysides, helping nature to do its job in regenerating and growing. The beekeeper, in understanding this, creates a hospitable environment for bees to make a home, somewhere to rest after a long day of work. We raise a toast to the beekeepers today who are the true Airbnb hosts. Oh, oh, I like that's that. lovely, Jack. <laughs> I like oh, did you read that? Nice. I wrote that, Jack. Yeah. Oh, cheapers. That's very Because good. honestly, that's right, good. without sounding corny or whatever, it's very true. I've met amazing people who produce food, but like beekeepers are a different, a different sort, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's in the name, you know? Beekeeper. Yeah. You're keeping yeah. them, really. You're not farming them. You're not, you know. Yeah. Did you know the first, there's, 
there's a kind of um, there's a lovely story around the domestication of the honeybee, and it's around the question of whether the honeybee domesticated us or we domesticated the honeybee. So that last voice that you heard here is Mark Reardon, and he is our guest today. And while he will tell us this particular story, it will be, of course, no surprise to you to learn that Mark is a beekeeper and the founder of Hivemind.ie. Now, while Mark got into beekeeping about 10 years ago in somewhat an accidental fashion, his work with bees has developed into a fascinating enterprise called Hivemind, which allows companies and individuals to sponsor a hive. Now, we'll hear more about this journey as well as his own honey experiments into beer, fermenting, and okay, I'll probably admit it, sometimes accidental vinegars. And we'll also learn about what you could find in a typical Irish honey, from hawthorns to blackberries and more. Yeah, and I think what we really wanted to talk to Mark about was kind of the importance of bees to us, but also to everything else and how we live and the environment and how they are key to our existence and the impact and the threat that our environmental footprint is having on the bee population. So we'll get back to the initial question of who domesticated who first. Was it the honeybees or the humans? So it okay. used to be honeybees have been around about 100 million years. They started out living in trees up high, away yeah. from predators, storing their honey and keeping their brood and, and their nest in a hole in a tree. Yeah. And then when they swarm to create a new colony, the queen leaves with half the bees and they're looking for somewhere new to to actually build wax, yeah. store their honey and create a, a new colony. So what they did in those early days in Mesopotamia, when they settled first, was they had pots lying around the bees. The scout bee, well, before they moved to create a new home, a scout bee goes out and they measure the dimensions of vessels like a hole in a tree or a pot in the garden. Yeah. And whichever vessel seems best or most appropriate, they choose that in their okay. swarming. So they went to these Mesopotamian, Mes- Mesopotamian farmers and uh, set up colonies inside in, say, empty jugs or overturned pots or things like that. I've Um, never heard of Mesopotamia. What is that or where is that? You know, the Nile Delta where the first people settled. Okay, that's Mesopotamia. Yeah, that's where they first grew oats and they first kind of, yeah, Cain and Abel stuff, I think, isn't Uh, it? I don't know if if it was the two lads. (laughs) <laughs> Adam and Eve themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's where they have their first. Um, that's where they have the first signs of human settled existence. Okay. See. But I suppose it would have been before that. It would have been that the bees went to. You know, the bees had their um, had their colonies and trees and in cliffs and in, in caves yeah. and things. You know, the way you'd see in yeah, yeah. movies or in National Geographic mm. things. They climb up the cliff uh, cliff face or climb into trees and they hack off the honey. And they bring it down. Yeah. They're going to the bee. This was yeah. the first time that the, bee the bees were coming to the, to the humans. humans. So in a kind of a funny way, Mark's story is actually quite like this historic tale. So a swarm of bees find Mark in his house and they initially kind of take home in a hole in the wall. And then six months later, it swarm again and they kind of take up shop on a shrub in his garden. Now, as luck would have it, he had done a workshop in beekeeping a year previously but he hadn't fostered much interest as he was too busy with other commitments. But it did mean that he knew a guy who could probably know what to do. And I called the guy who was interested in keeping the bees, who was at the bee workshop I was at. Yeah. And I said, like, you know, there's a swarm do? here. I don't know what to do. And he was like, I'll come over 
we'll put them in a box and you're going to go to West Cork tonight. You're going to get a suit. You're going to get a, 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 a bee box and a smoker, the hive, the whole lot. And I was kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck. I didn't want to. I kind of really? didn't want to. I almost wanted him to just take them and and just kind of, you know, favor to him. Because I knew he was so keen. God, that's an unbelievable story, Mark. Yeah, but he made me. Go, and I did. I went down to Baltimore that night and I got them from Mac Owen, from Mac Owen Honey Farms. Right. And, um... I put them in the right beside where they had landed and they stayed there. And that year I did almost nothing. Gary, the guy from Gary O'Sullivan, he used to come over and he'd be looking into them and he was only getting into bees at the same time. Mm. Like he was a novice really, Mm. you know, and I'd join in the odd time and have a look and I'd go and look at them myself, trying to, trying to see if it was, if it was was something for you. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd end up running away, screaming, getting stung all over. I had a cheap enough bee suit and I'd get stung. And and I, I wasn't really looking into the brood nest as such. I was yeah. really looking into what was what's known as a super. And that's where the honey is. And okay. that's where the older bees are, the foragers. That's what okay. they're trying to protect. So right. what I was doing was I was going straight into the, the, the like, older aggressive bees. And I was messing with the one thing that they're really trying to protect and gather and all this. And I wasn't looking in at the colony that needed to be tended to. Okay. I was just, you know, naive. So getting into the business of beekeeping was quite serendipitous for Mark. And it's something he admits himself because he joined the Irish Beekeeper Association to do some midweek workshops and learn a bit more about it. And also at this time, it was mid-recession. And one day while he was searching the FOSS Community Employment Scheme, he spotted a part-time job helping a nearby beekeeper to tend to colonies and rare queen bees for sale. Okay, okay. And that's Coolmore. That was, that was where, you were, yeah, where you ended yeah. up. And I, at the same time, I decided to apply to do, do a master's in organic horticulture at the okay. same time. So while I was in Coolmore, I was kind of getting ready to do that. And um, I had a few colonies from, from when I started. And I had learned a lot working with Mark and Coolmore because we were working bees every day, raining. Mm. So it didn't matter what the weather was, mm. we'd have to work. Like, yeah. And there's a lot to be said about going in and doing, doing it in any weather and, and seeing the process from the larva of a queen to, you know, I've, I felt like it was, um, it was intensive enough that I, I knew my stuff, but. I've learned since that you never know everything, mm. but, you know, it was a good base of knowledge. And then I did my thesis and my master's on, uh, on honeybees. And then... Gas, isn't it? Going from a man with absolutely no interest in it to doing a master's in honeybees. Like, what do you think of that? I know, I really love the story. Also, like, just the way he tells it and everything, it really, he's really happy to have it landed on him. He's like... You know, I just like one day and then I did this and then I kind of wasn't really that interested. And then I had another thing and still wasn't really that interested. And, you know, but anyway, the end of this journey, Mark has actually combined a marketing concept from a college project in 2012 where participants would buy and share a hive. And this is where Hive Mind was born. So a decade later, he's still working on this project with his business partner, Simon. And together, they link up with corporates and individuals who want to support Irish beekeepers and help the survival of Irish bees through sponsoring a hive and sharing in the dividends that come from it each season. So let's just go back to Mark here and find out a little bit more about how it works. 2012. Okay. 
So a mere 10 years ago, so this was the concept. Yeah. And yeah. now what is LiveMind? Yeah. So now we do different things. We've kept the idea of the um, hive share idea. So you, mm. you sponsor a share in a hive or you sponsor a full hive and you get mm. the honey from the hive, say, the uh, average yield. So mm. say we have X amount of hives and we have X amount of customers, we get all the honey in and then we divvy it out between our customers. Mm. Uh, like you mightn't get the exact honey from, like the idea mm. initially uh, in my naivety was, I give you hive A, Jolene, you get yeah. the honey definitely from that hive. Yeah. But that's just like, if you're going scale wise, that's a very difficult thing to do because I'd have to just do yours at yes. once. Yeah it and whatever so the idea then is get all the honey in collectively and give it out to our customers mm. in the autumn after the harvest before christmas and so basically you're working all year and then you deliver all your honey in like two three days mm -hmm. which is like the hard part really is getting everything together yes yeah yeah getting everyone ready so that they know you're coming yeah. and da 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 and we'd go kind of countrywide, but most of our customers would be in Cork or Dublin. So how many hives are we talking about and how many Initially, people like, are in this cooperative? For, it, changes all, it changes every year. So now what we've started to do is we've pulled in other beekeepers. So we can only deal with so many. There's yeah. only so much you can do with one person. Because yeah. Simon, my partner with HiveMind, he does the kind of back end stuff with the website and the ordering and the contacting customers and all of that. And I do the, the bees and the honey and all of that. So, um, now we use different beekeepers from that we've kind of gotten to know over time and trust mm. over time and mm. they trust us. So what we do now is uh, this is fairly transparent to our customers. So that not every jar says Markyville on it. In mm. the beginning, it was just Markyville honey. But there's only mm. so many hives even you can put in a square kilometre. Mm. And the more I have learned about bees, the more space I like to give them. So I don't like to overcrowd because you're, you're going to reduce your average colony yield if you have too many hives yeah. per acre. Yeah. So I keep trying to push out uh, further, which makes it a little bit more difficult, which means that I do need more people. So if we use, say, if we use another beekeeper, say, from East Cork or mm. from Waterford, we'll put their townland oh, nice. on that jar of honey. Okay, lovely. So it's kind of batch honey. Yeah. So, um, and then in as much as possible, we'll get, if we have, say, if we have some from Waterford, we'll try and get that to our customers as mm. close to that as yeah. possible. Yeah, lovely. You know? Is it true um, that local honey is the best honey you could possibly... Local have? honey has benefits in um, an old wives' tale kind of way. Okay. So they say that the honey from the plants around you will help you with your hay fever. Mm. But here in Ireland, the plants around you are pretty much the same as the plants around, say, someone in Donegal. That old wives' tale came from the States, where okay. your Tupelo honey in Florida wouldn't suit somebody in California. Okay. And, you know, you've yeah. got, like, a, a, a continent. Yeah. Whereas here in Ireland, if it's Irish, and it's definitely Irish, then 
then that's local enough that yeah it should do something but again that's not scientifically proven yeah so i wouldn't stand by it but what i will say local honey is better for you because you're getting if you know that it's really irish and it's you know unfiltered unheated then you're getting the best product you could get and you're supporting a beekeeper and the beekeepers bees Mm. in your area so Mm. you know like that's better than helping your hay fever in my eyes as much (laughs) you know because it is it is a big problem and honeybees are dealing with um the varroa mite which is pretty much the worst parasite that we know and okay what's the varroa the varroa mite is is a parasite that attaches to the bee in its um in its developmental stage as a larva. So the the varroa will, will lay an egg in with the bee's egg. Okay. And as that egg develops, the bees uh, the bee develops from an egg to a pupa to a larva to a bee. Right. The varroa might hatches first and attaches to it. Okay. So what it does is it parasitizes it. Right. And it takes um from that bee for its whole life okay. from before it's born. And also it will spread viruses as it goes gotcha. and it can okay. jump from b to b it can even yeah. jump it can it can even jump from b to b on a, out on a flower really so and it has the ability to decimate a hive within about two years wow. so if you don't treat bees for the varroa mite and if they've got a bad dose of it it will kill them so if you don't have people keeping the honeybee and medicating the honeybee then pretty much i would say at a kind of guesstimate, 90% of the honeybees would be gone within, mm. in, in Ireland would be gone yeah. within a few years. And they, they really say that the key to our existence really is bees, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if you Can you tell us it, a little bit more about why so, that is? Um, if you look at this tree here, this is a horse chestnut tree and that would have been in flower a couple of weeks ago. And every flower attracted honeybees and every flower would have gotten pollinated as a result. And mm-hmm. then that means that that tree can reproduce. So if that tree can reproduce, then it can, you know, it could potentially, not a horse chestnut now because it might poison people, but say if it was a sweet chestnut, it might help to feed squirrels. It might help to feed, um, you know, mice, voles, rats, God knows what. Mm. like uh, pheasants all the rest of it yeah and then they will help it to reproduce yeah so it's basically a part of a the, the huge the huge puzzle that is the the symphony of life like uh, we can't without the sycamore reproducing without the crab apple reproducing without these things then wildlife will starve you know? and if wildlife doesn't get the chance to to pro like all that fruit is really is a protective mechanism for a seed. The mm-hmm. tree doesn't care about who's eating the apple because mm. all it wants is somebody. All it wants is somebody to eat the apple and to disperse the seed and yeah. to keep it going. Yeah. We're all just helping each other. Yeah. You know, and like like a raspberry, a strawberry, all of those things. And what we've done as humans is we have uh, curated and 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 developed these plants to give us better mm. you know like and in so doing we have forgotten oh. the, we have forgotten the reason the real reason behind the fruit 
which is to protect the seed. Yes, okay. And which is to basically carry on the life of the tree and, you know, keep the whole gig going. Mark, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, bee stings are good for you, no? No. Yeah. Mark? Yeah. Are. Yeah. So have you ever heard of apitherapy? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I have a friend. Good. I have a friend who's a, a commercial beekeeper and he was telling me about this, but I'll let you explain it. Um, it was also in yeah. Italian, so I won't translate it properly. But So the, you know, I think it's, a, it's, it's something that's really in its infancy here in Ireland. I know it's only the last two or three years I've been hearing about it, but there's a guy, you know, this is, it's typical Ireland, these stories that you hear. So there's a guy apparently in Donegal or somewhere, and he's got bees in a shed, and he's got a daybed built over them. Mm. And he brings people in to lie on the daybed during the day. Okay. When the bees are humming and when they're and they've got a frequency apparently anyway but it's supposed to be really relaxing so their frequency is apparently supposed to be good for us that's 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 kind of the slightly out there thing that people are getting into at the moment so people are actually some people will be requesting me to give send them audio files Mm. to to listen to to see does it work Mm. i don't know does that work but i do know that if you get a bee sting, it's um, basically it's it's putting a little bit of poison into a part of your body. Your body then reacts by filling that area with um, blood and T cells. You know, T okay. cells from yeah. the early coronavirus. I remember that. <laughs> so anyway, it sends all of these repair and and. Uh, and protect, you know, uh, stimulants to that area to, yeah. to help it. So what they use bee stings for, from my knowledge, and again, I only barely know anything about this now at this stage, but uh, arthritis mm-hmm. and um, any kind of uh, kind of muscular or skeletal, skeletal okay. issue like that. Arthritis in your elbow. So what you, an apitherapist would treat that by getting a bee sting into that area right. and it would it would Inf- create it or yeah, give it a protection yeah and hopefully kind of it's a bit like a vaccine isn't it yeah or is it a bit like acupuncture yeah. you know with with so with specifically going towards uh, an acupuncture point then with that, that bee sting kind like of an idea i think yeah and again jack i i'm only i only kind of it, it, that's hearsay again not scientifically proven but i do know that that it's it's got a lot of it's got a lot of kudos in like China and in Eastern mm. Europe where people people you know have mm. apitherapists. I think it's interesting about the sound because definitely sound frequencies do help and heal us. Like yeah, I mean you notice yeah. that if you go to a sound bath, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like quite a meditative kind of all yeah. body yeah. experience, even though you're just hearing something. Yeah, but the vibrations through your body, and like. Would you and do do you think it stays with you then afterwards? Um, I I do, yeah. Do you? Would you later in the day be like, is it? It would still be kind of humming yeah. in your body, like. Because yeah. I get that with yeah. bees. If I do a day of yeah. bees, I could be walking around later in the day, and I'm like, and you're still buzzing. Where are the bees? I, I, <laughs> and I I know myself that they're not there. 
yeah. but my brain is genuinely telling me to look out because the, the, the vibration does stay with you okay. and the sound does stay with you. And so on this note about the sound thing, like Mark and I actually did a bit of an experiment post recording of the interview and we put one of the little microphones into a beehive. So do you want to hear what that sounds yeah, like? Please. They're definitely little busy bees, aren't they? <laughs> anyway, that was uh, an ASMR special from the Neighbour Food podcast. I'm sure now that Mark has a recording of it, he would be delighted to share it with all of you. Um, so, uh, yeah, actually, what we should do is probably put a link to this in the show notes. Do that. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. On with the show. <laughs> Interesting one. Um, what do beekeepers do with all the honey other than eat honey? What kind of stuff have you been making? Um, so this here is my new kind of mead beer concoction. Tell us about that. I've been working. It's delicious, by the way. It is good. I, I drank mine already. Finally I, I guzzled it. I'd love another <laughs> drop. <laughs> um, so that now is just is uh, honey and water, and given about four to six weeks in an airtight. It's fantastic container, and, and I love the little the little kind of tiny bubbles in it are lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? It's kind of like not over fizzy. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And it's kind of sweet. And you can change it then. Once it's made, you can make it sweeter or you can make it less sweet. So I haven't gotten to that point yet. I've been messing with this for years. Mm. So mead was, I think, one of our first alcohols. And it came from early beekeepers. Um, So what they do is uh, picture it again. Back in the day, they'd be... To get the honey, they'd have to really rob it. These yeah. days, these days we manipulate the colonies and we take the honey without getting too face to face with the bees. Whereas back in the day, or if you're watching the Jungle Book and they climb up the cliff and take the honey, they have to squeeze it out of the wax, or okay. else they'd eat the wax with it. Right. And then what they do is they'd wash down the wax, yeah, um, to clean the wax, to make candles, to make polish, to make uh, salves for your skin, whatever. And now the washings that came from the wax cappings or the wax, um, I think was just kept and they noticed that it was fermenting. Really? Is that how it happened? Yeah. And they waste nothing. The story then with the mead. So what I've heard is that it's, um, isn't that the honeymoon drink? Honeymoon. So you'd have a month of mead. A month of mead after your wedding day. You'd be in proper order to, to make some babies. Exactly. Oh, I love we, we, that. We, we, so I didn't know that at all. So, yeah, no, this so is a think, good story. So like, I love that, that kind of this stuff. This is why it's called the honeymoon. And if you've got a month, you're definitely in the fertility period. And okay, at some enough, point. Yeah, and if you've got enough mead, you're going to hit it. Like, you're just hit it. <laughs> I mean, what could possibly go wrong when you'd be buzzing yeah, like that? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So have you made some mead? I've made, over the last few years, I've been messing with it. And the odd time I've made something mm. that I thought was okay. Nobody mm. else thought it was okay. okay. Whereas now I've made something that I think is okay and everybody else thinks is okay. This too. this honey beer. That's it. It's it's not beer like no. a lager IPA beer. It's no. more like a kind of a, a sugary, sweet lemonade with yeah. a, a nice little alcohol a little kick. Hint of alcohol. Yeah. It's really good. Um, 
so this is my finally I've made something palatable. In the in the in in my old experiments, I've made like I was making mead on along the recipes of like ones that I've tasted before. I've tasted mm. seven year old meads that are like the best kind of uh, dry white wine you've ever tasted, like better okay. than anything okay. I've ever tasted from a wine bottle. Really? And I just don't know how to. You know, there's guys in the game who've been making this stuff like yeah. like Irish people made poutine for years and okay. you, it, it's hard to get that kind of skill takes I don't know either good guidance or a lot of practice yeah so I started trying to mess with that and everything I made turned into vinegar well, you can't really sell it although it is good for you good for your gut yeah good for the gut biome all of that um and I like I've looked into studies that have been done on on fermented honey there's not a lot of them out mm. there so there's not much i can lean into to sell it mm. but um i continue to mess with it with, mm. like it's brilliant for the mead because i wouldn't waste jars and jars of hive mind honey unless it was unsellable you know? yeah um i think it's amazing you know if you look back at that first day that the bees arrived in here and the fear you had and now the confidence that you have in bees and all the products yeah. And yeah. the joy and the actual, like, the passion for it, like, because it's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah. What a change, amazing. like. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah. I mean, how do you feel about all that now? Great, great. I, I think it was like, um, I suppose, without knowing it at the time, I was, um, I was kind of spitballing loads of stuff. I was mm. like, I was, I would have done anything. I yeah, would, like, yeah. even, you know, going to the, the beekeeping workshop day that day. I had no interest in keeping bees, yeah. but I was like, look, I'll just I'll go up and see what happens. And like, what's the worst can happen? Kind yeah. of thing. And even when I got the bees into the box and Gary was like, go and get the gear. And I was like, oh, no, but I said, I'd give it a shot yeah. anyway. And that's it, it. And, you know, I suppose it, I, I rarely look back and think of, uh, and, and think of it that way. But I suppose now that I am, I'm like, it just, it's a lesson to keep giving it a yeah. shot, isn't it? Would you recommend it, being a beekeeper? Yeah, I would. I would. I do workshops on weekends here in the summer, and I try to convince people to get just one or two hives. Okay. That's, like, grand. So what I do with them when they do come in is I do what I need to do, and yeah. they get to see kind of... How it all works. A real, yeah. yeah. I started it, and we'd be like, I'd be like, right, this is what a frame looks like, guys. Before you put it in the check, hive. Check it out. Put it back <laughs> this in. This is a box. <laughs> the bees go in the box. And now it's like, right, let's get in the suits. I need to work on that hive. This is what's yeah. going on at the moment. Da, 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 da. And I think if you want to promote beekeeping, then you need to promote it uh, like broadly instead of, of saying you're the wrong person for it. Teach the right type of beekeeping to the right type of person mm. and it's going to be better for the environment yeah. for pernickety and very particular in what we do all well and good enjoy your beekeeping like that but if you want to have a wild hive in the bottom of your garden and not take honey from it and not mess with it then and leave the bees be you're you're, you're doing better yeah. than you would be if what's yeah what's the biggest nothing. threat to beekeeping at the moment um well, or to, to the survival of bees. I the suppose. biggest threat to the survival of bees. It's 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 
it's got to be the um, the environmental issues, the habitat. Mm. You know, like I think there's just too much um, too much being done to to cut down and cut back. I know we have no mo may. You know, you know. Oh yeah, no mo may. Yeah. And Chukagar Lawn was, I think, blind <laughs> That's a clever thing. one. <laughs> that was brilliant. So this idea of leaving things go wild and and being okay with it, you know, is is a good thing, but it's still miles from where we're going, you know? Yeah. And I'd see a lot, like, people would cut down a tree, you know, and they'd be like, sure, we're going to plant another one. But you're cutting down something that could be 200 years in the growing. Absolutely. 200 years worth of flower. They say that a fully... Uh, grown willow tree mm. will give you as much blossom and as much mm. food for, for pollinators as I think is it an acre of land or wow. an acre of wildflower wow yeah so that's incredible like uh, I think erring on the side of, of nature and leaving you know leaving things go wild isn't isn't a bad thing yeah but we yeah the, the biggest danger to to honeybees would be habitat decline and habitat loss it's just too much of it. Yeah. In foreign countries, Mark, you'd see particular types of honey. Yeah. You know, like chestnut honey and yeah. I've even Manuka seen honey. like... I've seen, yeah, well, I guess, yeah, I guess lavender. it's the same thing. There's lavender, lavender honey, honey yeah. yeah. And then there's... Sunflower. Yeah, and what's the story that is? So is this is the idea that you have hives next to a farm, I guess, of these crops. Yeah, yeah. And it's flavoring the honey in a particular way. How, how is that for the bees? Is that a is that a good idea or? Well, um, pro- no, like no, really. I suppose in in the real in the real mm, okay. scheme of it, no. Like take that to its extreme, Jack, and you've got. And you've got the almond industry in California taking 90% of the bees in North America to the west coast of America just to pollinate the almonds. Yeah. 90% wow. taken all to one place. Yeah. Like that's the, that's, that, that's the, that's the far side of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, the nicer side of it is you've got crops that we need anyway for 7 billion people, sunflowers, and they need to be pollinated, and they could benefit beekeepers within the surrounding area uh, to bring them over, get a crop. The honey is nice from some of these, but it's it, 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 it's it's um, single source, so it lacks a bit of depth. I think one of the best things about Irish honey is you can't get organic in Ireland because you 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 need like a huge area. Yeah. to be to be organic and to make sure that your bees aren't going to forage in non-organic com- yeah, yeah 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 conventional farms or conventional hedgerows or whatever but most of what we get in our beehives would be springtime you get dandelion you get willow sycamore and that would be like sycamore would get you a good crop of honey in ireland in yeah. the spring okay you get some from oilseed too and that would be more like your your idea of lavender honey but oilseed honey isn't great you can cream it and it can be nice but you and you can get a good crop from it but yeah it does our farmers um a benefit in that they get a better yield of oil from a pollinated crop yeah yeah but um then after that we would get blackberry honey 
like that's our mm. next crop and it's the only real crop that we can like fully trust in Ireland is blackberry which is wild and white thorn you can get as well and you can get heather and ivy in the autumn then and okay. they're all plants that are wild yeah and they're all plants that nature like and they're native Irish plants yeah yeah, yeah. and nature thrives off them yeah like they call the hawthorn the bread and butter tree uh, the sycamore creates seeds then for other wildlife to live on. Um, the hawthorn again would feed the birds in the winter. The ivy would feed the birds in the winter. Mm. The heather up yeah. in the mountains is wild and yeah. in basically untouched ground. And they, the, the heathers would feed the, the kind of mountain fauna, I yeah. suppose, in, yeah. the, in the winter too. So you're talking like, and because of the fact that we have a kind of a, a touch and go season we end up with a honey that's very multi-floral so you okay. could get some of that sycamore in your blackberry honey and the blackberry honey that you get could still have some white thorn in it or whatever mm. so uh, irish honey actually does tends to do really well in the honey world cup which is a thing so the Honey World Cup. Honey <laughs> World. Okay, tell us about the got, Honey World Cup now. That's because we've got a depth of flavor to our honey that okay. they don't have in a lot of places. You're not going to get depth of flavor if you go just to lavender or just to rosemary, of course. just to yeah. orange blossom. I'll give you some now in a while, okay. Jolene, that you can try. But um, uh, And different root systems will, will give you a different nectar, which gives you a different honey. Like okay. oak honey is black. And yes. lavender honey is kind of a, a, a muddy brown as oh, well, gosh, but yeah. that's kind of to do with maybe the tannins in it or mm. something like that. But yeah, um, but yeah uh, we we don't really need mass pollination in Ireland except for the oilseed, I think. Mm. Okay, and maybe you know, like places like orchards, like you, you did the podcast with with contrast. Yeah, they need they need pollinators, mm. and they, uh, you know. But the truth is, they probably get enough pollination, but they could they, they, do always do it more. They could always do it more. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. where the bees come in. Yeah. Um, if people want to get involved with hive mind, like if they wanted to, like I suppose you, you're kind of basically adopting a hive to them. That's how it works, isn't it? Yeah. So if I'm a pr private individual or a company, does it matter who I am if I come to Hive Mind to do that? No, like if you go online, you can sign up as an individual to sponsor a hive. At the moment, I think we have a submission of interest form because we haven't opened it up yet for, for paid subscriptions this year. I know it's a bit late in the year, but um, when we do open it up, it tends to it tends to be gone in, in days or else really? th the fact that we have a submission of interest form means mm. that we have a list of people interested. They tend to be first come, first served. And um, that's it then. I mean, yeah. we can only deal with so many people. Well, but what we're doing at the moment then, and then corporates can do it in a similar way. And what I'm doing at the moment is I'm doing some kind of rooftop beekeeping and uh, corporate beekeeping where I'm going off-site from here in Martinville and I'm going into places onto rooftops and I'm keeping bees for companies or for Brilliant. groups or organizations yeah. and what I'm doing then every Little visit cats. that I make I'm trying to get them involved so every say there's a corporate I tried to I try to engage some of their more interested staff and we mm. kind of call them scout bees then 
and then they go back to the workforce with photos or videos or updates on how the hive is getting on. Okay. Well, I'm trying to get a little bit of um, a little bit more engagement for the project that way, so that um, it just raises a bit more awareness. And it, it, it's like, you know, corporate greening can be frowned upon because it's 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 a way for let's say a bad corporation to try mm. to look good mm. but you have to kind of look beyond that at the individuals in the corporation my idea i i was always blown away by beekeeping because they can just they're they're amazing to to look at and to um to learn from and it doesn't matter about the corporation some to a point if you can get a couple of people mm. face to face and go come with me on a on a day when i'm looking at the bees or through a whole season looking at the bees and get them to learn and potentially become beekeepers yeah would be great you know? yeah ignite that passion yeah and, and who knows what will come out of it yeah. what's your hope for um the future of hive mind say like 10 15 years down the line um i'm not a long-term planner aren't you okay <laughs> well they um <laughs> Let's say I was, though, I, you know, so we do our hive subscriptions. We do the corporate beekeeping. I do my workshops and weekends. And uh, sometimes I do like, um, I call it a live hive inspection where okay. a company might, might do like as a kind of, it happened a lot with lockdown just to keep people interested at home. I do a live hive inspection at okay. Hotspot on the phone and get the camera and set mm. it up and talk them through a hive yep. inspection and do a Q&A afterwards. Um, so what I'm kind of doing, I'm kind of following my nose on it and trying mm. to keep uh, changing the approach to suit the environment and try to reach more people. You yeah. Know? yeah. And um, to keep it being a bit of fun and... Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. Are there other companies like uh, Hivemind in Ireland doing yes. this kind of uh, thing? There is there a collective of, of you guys that uh, around? or There's definitely a couple of companies doing similar things. A couple of individuals, I don't yeah. know, you know. But um, I think, like, when we started, we were trying to push this corporate social responsibility angle, trying to get corporates to basically sign a contract with us to help their corporate social mm. responsibility mm. Uh, initiative. Mm. And they'd be like, corporate social what? What's that, yeah. yeah. But this was also 10 years ago. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were look. I was looking at videos on Yeah, going, I remember. this is corporate social responsibility. <laughs> Everyone knows about this, right? No one knew anything. And now yeah. it seems like the field is changing and that's good. Um, so, yeah, there's people filling that space now. You know, there's mm -hmm. no way yeah. Hive Mind can do every rooftop or every yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But now, like, I was up in Dublin yesterday doing bees on a roof there, and the roof is covered in wildflower seed that's all Fabulous. planted amazing, solar tech all over the place, really, like, Fantastic. super snazzy new building, like, way over the top. And then on the next building over, the whole roof is planted with sedum, which is great for bees as well. Okay. So the bees are, like, six stories up wondering what the fuck is going on how did they get there <laughs> and they're adapting okay to being that high up but more interesting than that is the humans in the buildings around are adapting to, to the fill bees. in yeah to yeah. fill in a gap yeah 
that we have created by tarmacking and concreting yeah. and yeah and doing all the rest of it so it's it's kind of cool to see that's lovely amazing thank you no worries cheers mark thank you jack And that's it. That is a wrap for this installment of the Neighbour Food Podcast. We are Jolene Cronin and Jack Crotty. And of course, we hope you are enjoying our snippets from across the world of Irish artisan foodscape. As always, give us a share, a follow, a rating or some feedback on the shows because we'd love to hear. Yeah, and thanks a million to Mark at Hivemind for being such a good guest. Jolene, you were actually there in person this week, so... I didn't get to enjoy the hospitality, but like next time, hopefully. I was there. Actually, Joe, it was kind of funny was his dog kept kind of reversing his arse into the camera. You you guys didn't really (laughs) even notice. (laughs) Anyway. We were giving him cuddles. If you want to find out more about what Mark does at Hivemind, sponsor your own hive or even buy some of his honey, of course, you can do that at hivemind.ie. Or perhaps if you want to take up beekeeping yourself, then, you know, sign up to a local workshop and find out more, learn, get involved. And a great place to start with this is irishbeekeeping.ie. They've got a whole list of all the associations and a really good resource. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. See you soon. See you soon.